Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 91 of Polyamory Uncensored, where we talk to Katie Cadaver. Welcome back, Katie. We are going to get an update on the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. Hello, Katie. So uh, I know we have asked this before, but it has been quite a while, at least three years. I think we just figured out uh, who are you today? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still Katie, Katie Cadaver, uh, and I'm an ethically non-monogamous mom, artist, uh, queer, fat woman. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I also consider myself a fat liberation advocate. Awesome. So what does polyamory mean to you today? Um, I guess it means the freedom to fully explore connections with other people um, and to kind of nurture them in whatever way feels most authentic for me. So we've already asked you about and you kind of gave us your origin story about what drew you to polyamory. I know life has changed, right? And obviously everyone's life has changed in the last two years because of the pandemic. But since we spoke last, is there anything else? Um, is there anything you find difficult about polyamory that might have been different from when we talked to you previously? Um, you know, I think I'm still working through a lot of the monogamous programming that's been pretty much ingrained and reinforced for myself and, and for really everyone in our society. Um, a lot of that comes from things from the media and, you know, our families of origin, stuff like that. Um, and I'm just working on unlearning kind of years of, of cultural expectations that really don't apply to me if I'm practicing ethical non-monogamy. So it can be a challenge just to, you know, deprogram some of that stuff for me, unlearn those things that are sort of been ingrained. And I know that's kind of a little bit what I talked about the first time that I was here. And, and I'm still, I'm still working on that. And I'm also, uh, as it relates to our topic today, uh, working through how fat phobia intersects with non-monogamy as well. I forgot that was our topic. It was a uh, toxic monogamy culture, right? right. Getting over yes. that. I, I just remember that now. I was like, oh yeah, that's what we talked about. Cause it's actually one of the um, most listened to of our podcast episode. And I was wondering if it was because people coming to our podcast are like, curious are our monogamous and then they see that headline of like oh toxic monogamy what's that is that me and then maybe that's why they're listening to it i'm not sure but it is it is a very popular or maybe <laughs> um you know people who are struggling with it themselves and you know recognizing it as a problem that they hope that they can get some support ideas help addressing in their own lives yeah, absolutely yeah i feel like the when did you know question probably would not have changed over time. No, but, well, but I actually have so, a different take on that question. Oh, okay. Excellent. In that case. Um, so when did you know that you were poly? 
Well, and I think I'm actually still questioning whether or not I'm poly as an orientation or whether it's something that I choose to practice. Um, I know that's kind of a a debatable topic for a lot of people. Um, And I I find that I struggle with knowing how to answer that for myself, too. So I I think I'm still exploring that um, as far as is poly my actual orientation or is it just something that I can choose uh, when it works for me, you know? So where are you in your poly journey? Well, I am about three years in um, and I've participated in a range of dynamics, everything from like a monogamish, you know, don't ask, don't tell sort of arrangement to uh, a full kitchen table polycule quarantine in my home during the pandemic. So right now I just have a nesting, one nesting partner and I'm seeking connections outside of that. Um, But I'm kind of looking for a really specific energy that isn't easy for me to find. So I really don't have any expectations Um, as far as where I want to go. I think I just want to have the kinds of connections and experiences that'll help me continue to grow and learn the lessons that I need to learn in life. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And that also really encompasses the second question of where do you hope to go? So I'm going to skip ahead again and this time go with, why did you agree to be interviewed? Well, I definitely wanted to check back with you all after, um, you know, it's been a few years since I was last here and um, you know, and the, our discussion topic is is really important to me and close to my heart. And I felt that it was important for us to have this conversation in a little bit bigger way than I would be able to normally have it, you know, and to reach more people and, and just to talk about this because it's not, um, you know, fat phobia in non-monogamy is not something that I hear talked about quite enough. So, um, yeah. And I just, of course, wanted to see your lovely faces. <laughs> Yeah, when you had posted um, in a, a group, a uh, shared poly group that we're in about this topic, I thought it was such a unique uh, take on on just like the community that I hadn't heard before. Obviously, I had seen it firsthand, like fat phobia and just nonsense in groups and just in communities in general. But um, but yeah, it was not it's not really something that I've, I've heard talked about a lot. So immediately I jumped on that and I was like, Ooh, we should have a discussion. This is a good idea, (laughs) but yeah, Yeah, I'm really glad you brought it up. Absolutely. Appreciate that. You guys are willing to talk about it too. Um, That's, that's super important. I mean, I think that one of the things that's really going to be interesting as we move into that part of the discussion is, you know, I think a lot of people have maybe, heard the term fat phobia, thought a little bit about fat phobia, you know, have different experiences with it or what have you, but not necessarily specifically in the context of the poly and ethical non-monogamy communities. And I think it's going to be a really interesting twist on the conversation and, you know, bring something new to that discussion. So I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah, me too. All right, well, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hey there, interested in more Polyamory Uncensored content? You're in luck. We just started a blog, polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com. We're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns, polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews, and guest posts from authors like you. If you'd like to be a guest author, contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com, and you might be able to see your work up on our website. Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com, and we're going to have some fun new poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. Thank you. 
And we're back with Katie today to talk about fat phobia in the poly and ethical non-monogamy community. So just to start us off with some definitions, um, what is fat phobia? So um, there's a lot of different ways to describe fat phobia, um, but the best, most encompassing way, I think, is just anti-fatness towards fat people stigmatization in society, um, you know, the poor treatment of fat folks, and it can look a lot of different ways. Um, And I know the word phobia indicates like a fear of fatness. That is one way that it can look. And a lot of people, instead of using the word fat phobia, will use anti-fat bias um, because it sort of explains it a little bit better, but it's essentially just hate and, and hate towards fat people and fear of becoming fat, kind of all of those uh, things encompassed into one easy to understand definition, but not really. (laughs) Right. And discrimination, however it looks and marginalization, oppression, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think um, maybe as a, a note to the audience, we'll probably use the word fat today is a neutral descriptor, but not in because it has such a loaded term and so many people find it like to be an insult or, or negative or derogatory and in and of itself. But I think in general, we'll, we're probably going to be using it in a neutral way. I don't know. Do you do you have thoughts on that? Like just yeah, the word fat? <laughs> definitely. And as a fat person and someone who identifies as fat, um, what I can say is that within the fat acceptance community, um, the word fat, we've kind of taken the word fat back. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us uh, have experienced some, you know, hatred around the word fat, you know, how it's been used against us, whatever. Um, and we, we've chosen to take the word back and you, you know, just frame it as a neutral descriptor, just as you would tall, short, blonde, brunette, whatever. Um, there is really no, there doesn't have to be, I should say any negative connotations behind the word. Obviously a lot of people will still use it as an insult. Um, but most people in fat acceptance communities um, have have taken it back as a neutral descriptor, just a, a way to identify and to describe our bodies. Right. And it seems like having like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this just in terms of other um, reclaimed words that resonate in communities that I've been part of. It feels like not having to go through all these different euphemisms for, you know, for fat me. It, can be really empowering, like instead of like watching people try to be all delicate and not hurt anybody's feelings, like just use the word. It's okay. Absolutely. I'm not fluffy. I'm fat. You know, (laughs) you know, I'm not, I mean, I am curvy, but I'm also fat as well. You know, it's, it, it does take out um, a lot of the BS. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I appreciate that note to the listeners because I think it's going to I feel like this is definitely a topic that may hit people in some emotional places. Right. And so we want to just acknowledge and be responsible for that. Mm-hmm. I know even with certain um, like age groups, when I say queer, they bristle and they're like, you get, that's a, that's a derogatory term. You can't identify as that. And I'm like, Oh, things have changed, honey. <laughs> we're Thanks, we're grandma. It back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, what is, I guess um, just as a general question, what does this have to do with ethical non-monogamy? You know, um, I think a lot of people will probably come to this episode being like, what does that have to do with me? What does this have to do with the community? And um, yeah, so just in general, how does fat phobia relate to polyamory and ethical non-monogamy? Sure. Well, 
um, there are fat people everywhere, and including in um, polyamorous and ethically non-monogamous spaces, uh, which means that there's also going to be fat phobia everywhere, much like homophobia and racism. You know, these systems of oppression uh, work in many of the same ways. So um, wherever there is, even when there's not fat people, there's you know, fat phobia still exists um, because it's an ingrained bias, um, you know, in our society. So it does show up in these polyamorous and ethically non-monogamous spaces quite often. But if you're not fat and you're not on the receiving end of the fat phobia, you're probably not noticing it, which is why it, it actually is so important to talk about it. One of the things that I thought of when um, you had first brought this topic up is the lack of representation in the community when it comes to media, like people who are being interviewed who are in polyamorous relationships or uh, ethically non-monogamous relationships, swinging, things like that. The people who are being interviewed by the press, the people who are being showcased as educational resources and uh, stock photos, even um, they are almost always they almost always look exactly the same. Right. They're thin, conventionally attractive white people like sure. across the board. Almost. I mean, there are organizations now trying to change that. They're trying to showcase more diversity when it comes to body size, race, uh, gender and ability you know like there's definitely i can't remember the name of the organization but if i find it i'll I'll put it in our show notes but there's a a stock photo campaign of like trying to make better representation in stock photos but like the lack of representation is is really obvious when you when you see it right um do you think that that has you know like leaves an impression in the community for people in it I mean, I think it does. And if we look at really any representation of anything, I mean, pick out anything you want. Um, there's there's plus size clothing catalogs that don't even have plus size models modeling the clothing. So, um, you know, fat representation is lacking across the board. I don't care what topic you pick. Um, it's just not there the way it should be. And, um, you know, polyamorous and ethically non-monogamous spaces are not exempt from that. So um, yeah, it absolutely is lacking. And, and I feel like, like you mentioned, Lindsay, the, um, you know, swinger communities, things like that, you know, these stock photos that are being used, yeah, it, it, it's very homogenous. And, you know, I think the polyamorous and ethically non-monogamous um, representation, you know, it, it is lagging a little bit behind uh, some other areas, you know, in, in terms of representation. But it's important to note that across the board, pretty much everything lacks in fat representation. You know, there just isn't enough of it in general for any space. One of the things I think is really interesting about that is it's so disconnected from the reality of our community which is, you know, at least where we locally are, it may not be as diverse racially as some communities, um, but it, you know, we certainly have, uh, this is Wisconsin. We got a lot of fat people. We probably have more than the statistical average. And that's absolutely reflected in the um, poly community here. And, it seems sort of almost a weird disconnect that we don't still like, we still don't have that representation. I'm glad you brought that up, Katie, because um, that again is reflective um, across the board. Um, People in larger bodies, um, 
and I don't like to use the word, the terms overweight or obese because, and I'll explain a little bit why, but, um, you know, over what weight, you know, what is the ideal weight for a human being? There isn't one. Um, and obese actually comes fr from, I don't know, the Latin root is something like eaten one's self to fatness. Um, and there are over a hundred different medical reasons why a person may be fat. So um, the term obese just isn't accurate. Um, and these are terms that are used to pathologize fat bodies in, in the healthcare system through the BMI, which was is rooted in eugenics and racism. And it's a lot of garbage stuff. So, um, but I'll use the term overweight in this instance, just to, um, you know, for a universally understood term, over 60% of the population is considered overweight or obese um, in, in the country. So uh, again, that representation just isn't there across the board. And, you know, fat people are asking ourselves this all the time. If we're the majority, why are we treated? You know, why are we marginalized? And why are we treated the way that we're treated? If we're the majority of people, why isn't the world built for us? Um, you know, why aren't airplane seats made for us to fit in them without a seatbelt extender? Or, um, you know, why aren't, isn't restaurant seating more accommodating to folks in larger bodies? I mean, there are doctor's offices with chairs with arms on them where fat people cannot sit comfortably, um, yet we're the majority of the population. So um, it just really speaks to the bias that exists towards fat people that, um, you know, has been building for many, many years um, and I won't go into the capitalist roots of fat phobia and, and the racist roots of fat phobia, but, um, you know, it's all it's all in there. And, and so this is an issue that it, it spans across the board. And, you know, polyamory and ethical non-monogamy is just like a little sliver of it. But you're very right in saying that um, the majority of the people in the community would not be considered necessarily, you know, very thin people. You know, we are we are here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, the Midwest in general, I think, is home to a lot of people who would consider themselves not thin. Um, you said something early in the response that I want to circle back to, which was about avoiding the word um, overweight. And I think there was something else. You talked a little bit about why not using obese, but um, are there other words that either the fat community prefers, the fat acceptance per community prefers that we avoid or that are just like inaccurate or otherwise really problematic? Sure. I mean, for the most part, the terms overweight and obese are, are the big, you know, slurs within the fat acceptance community for the reasons that I mentioned, um, you know, the pathologizing of fat bodies um, through the BMI and things like that. Um, and most of us just prefer the term fat. You know, it's, you know, some people like to say plus size, which again is, is mostly acceptable um, as that's the way our clothing is categorized. Um, and we often use the term straight size to describe people who are not fat um, because mm -hmm. a lot of people who aren't fat don't necessarily identify as thin. Um, so straight size is a great way to describe somebody who doesn't need to wear plus size clothing. You know, if you fall within that range of clothing, you would be considered a straight size person. Um, and so straight size and plus size is a great way to describe, you know, both ends. And then within, um, you know, the fatness spectrum, and there is some debate around this. Um, but again, just for the purposes of explaining kind of how this works, I'll just go through it quickly. Um, there are different experiences within the fat community. So someone who is say a size 16 would be considered like a small fat, quote unquote. Um, you know, they're, they're, 
closer in proximity to a straight size individual, they experience, you know, the smaller you are, the closer you are to the conventional beauty standard, the less um, oppression and marginalization you're going to experience in society. So a small fat size 16 person, you know, woman, femme person, um, and say a size 30 person who might be um, considered like, that would be considered like super fat or infinifat. Um, those people experience a lot more marginalization within society and a lot less access to spaces and things like that. Um, so the categories go um, like small fat, which is generally up to like a size us size 18. And then you have like a mid fat, which ranges from about like a, size 18 or 20 up into about 24, 26. And then anything over that would be considered a large fat up to about size 30. And then you go into super fat, infinite fat. So the larger you are, the more um, oppression and marginalization you experience. And so your experience as a size 30 person is going to be different than someone else's experience as a size 14, 16. So um, it helps people within the fat community sort of understand their privilege markers and um, kind of where they fall in that. And it's not that it's a competition, but um, as we know, it's important to understand different experiences and how um, your size impacts the way that you're treated. I um, I consider myself a mid fat, you know, based on that sizing range. However, I present a lot more as a small fat in terms of I have my fat in quote unquote, all the right places. I've heard that many times. Um, so it's more um, acceptable. You know, I have more of an hourglass figure, so I'm seen as being more conventionally attractive. Um, and I don't experience uh, a lot of, um, issues with accessibility based on my size. Like I can pretty much squeeze into most cars and seats and, um, you know, restaurant seating and stuff like that. So I have a lot, a lot of privilege around the size of my body um, being where it is versus somebody larger than me who may not have uh, as much privilege. Does that make sense? Kind of answer your question? It totally does. And I love the word infinifat. Like that is just such a great word. Yes, that one is, uh, I have to give credit for that one to Ash from, she did a podcast called The Fat Lip. And um, yeah, she kind of <laughs> coined that phrase um, because yeah, it was kind of a, a good way to describe um, people on that end of the spectrum. I, I love, love the, the name of the podcast. Name. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> yes. a great name. That's very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, you're welcome. Another point you had made um, in, in that original post in the Poly Group was about uh, desirability politics, uh, which I found also to be a really interesting term. Uh, and I looked more into it a bit. And one of the things that I found related to non-monogamy was that um, there was this sense that if your partner was not desirable to you anymore, and that might be due to their weight or size, that you were then more justified in cheating or opening up the relationship because they are no longer quote unquote desirable. And, oh, that's so icky. Oh, it just, I was like, oh my God, is that something that's happening? And I was like, absolutely. It's something that's happening in the community. You know, is that, I don't know. Do you have any more um, clarification on what like desirability po politics means? Sure. Or other ways that it might show up in our mm -hmm. community. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to note, um, and to bring light to the fact that our society fetishizes thinness. Um, you know, it's 
almost always universally acceptable for someone to, to, you know, if you go on to Reddit and you read the, am I the asshole threads, you know, how often do we see a man who's complaining about his wife gaining weight and, you know, I'm just not attracted to her anymore. And, you know, this isn't what I signed up for and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, it's, it's very acceptable in society for us to fetishize thin bodies and to sort of uh, hold that as a standard that if someone's body should change over time um, and change in a way that um, they're getting bigger, again, it's like universally accepted that that's not okay. And that, um, you know, that person's partner should have a right to complain, um, cheat, whatever it might be, um, because someone's body has changed in a way that it's gotten larger. Um, So that shows up a ton, um, whether it's even within, you know, monogamous relationships, I hear, I hear that all the time. So um, yes, oftentimes, um, fat folks, our bodies are used, you know, as, as an excuse to look elsewhere, or as an excuse to, you know, want something else. And I don't know how many, you know, that how many people that use ethical non-monogamy as a way to get around that, you know, I don't have any statistics on, on, you know, I opened up my relationship because my wife gained a couple dress sizes. You know, I don't know how often that happens, but it's happening. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think when it comes to these desirability politics too, it happens in the way of even if a couple is opening up, not for any, you know, physical reasons um, having to do with either partner's bodies, um, when it comes to dating, a lot of a lot of times, it, you know, that it won't be sort of even in terms of one partner's getting more dates than the other. Um, when you're fat, you automatically have like a deficit within society to work through, um, you know, because most people are going to look at fatness and they're going to have an opinion about it, whether their opinion is I, I don't date fat people or I don't I'm not attracted to fat people or just, you know, that they have to like get past that somebody's fatness. Um, you know, I could talk all day about that and in the many different ways that that can show up, but, um, absolutely when you're fat, you are, um, at a deficit when it comes to, you know, the majority of society. So I do think that there might be a little bit of a difference when it comes to how fat folks are treated in different non-monogamous communities. I don't know though. I mean, obviously every community is different, but when I was thinking about it, I was like reminded of, swinger um party flyers that i've seen in the past and they're always so ridiculously like the, the there's always women there's almost never men it's really weird it's just women that are showcased sometimes they're animated and there's like like they're just silhouettes sometimes they're actual photos of stock images or whatever but they're always so thin they're always so white <laughs> they're always so like they're you know always so sc- scantily clad which is the point right obviously it's a swinger party but um they're always wearing like four inch heels yeah yeah and they're um and what's interesting is i don't think that really poly groups have event flyers like that very often so maybe it's just the, the lack of doing that as a thing whereas in swinger communities they do that often for promoting their parties so maybe it's just because we don't do that very often but like i see these flyers and it definitely feels, even if it's not conscious, it definitely feels like this is who we want you to think we are. This is who we want to attract. And these are the people who we want to show up. And and that can feel really unwelcoming. And, and what's interesting is that oftentimes, especially in the Midwest, the people who are throwing these parties 
look like us. And yet they're making these flyer images of people who are the quote unquote desirables. And I've also heard of, of swinger communities requiring photos and information like height and weight mm-hmm. to attend parties. Yeah, like oh, the organizers so do. Close. Yeah, so that they can say who can who can let who can be let in based on desirability of the organizers, uh, like only in their opinion. Like just so so gross. I don't so know. It's just so weird to me. Have you? I don't know if you're a part of the swinger community at all, but have you encountered things like that? Well, I'm not directly a part of the swinger community at this time, but what I can say is what you're describing is super accurate. And, and I actually even relate it to burlesque a little bit when I think about, um, you know, as a burlesque producer, you know, when I'm putting together a show, I have a vision in mind. My, my vision is usually pretty inclusive and I want to showcase things that are um, not getting mainstream attention. But when I look at um, like the suicide girls is a great example. When I look at um, that organization and and who they're catering to, um, which is typically um, cis straight men, um, you know what what they're showcasing is as close to conventionally attractive as possible. Um, they have a little bit of an edge to what they do, so they want you know women with tattoos and whatever that kind of thing. They have a particular look, um, and I think the swinger adverts are are very similar. It's like whoever's putting it together whether conscious or not, they have a vision of what they think is desirable and what they think people are going to want. And that's almost never a fat person. How many fat strip clubs have you ever been to? I've never been to any. I think there's one in Atlanta, but I'm not even sure. So again, it's like when they're hiring strippers, they're hiring who they think their patrons are going to want to see. Um, Never mind that, again, like I mentioned, fat people make up over 60% of the population not only are we alive and well we're having sex and we're Wait, what <laughs> exactly um you know and people want to have sex with us that's the other thing that you know when it comes to how events and and things are being advertised versus who's showing up and who's feeling welcome you know there's a huge disconnect there and it has to do with the ingrained bias that we're all in the water here in our culture and unless you're consciously undoing that bias and and really putting thought to diversity and and inclusivity it's just not going to show up. And I don't know how many people are really doing that in the swinger and, and poly communities. It, it remains to be seen. Um, but I think, you know, some of that is true that like, there's just not a lot of poly advertisements, but um, one of the people who ha- has gotten a little bit of press recently after coming out as polyamorous is uh, Lindy West, who's an author and also the creator of Shrill. If anybody's seen Shrill on Hulu, um, it's a great show for fat representation, probably in the top three of like any shows out there. Um, and-, and it was a great book. I'd listened to the yes. audiobook somewhat recently, like within the last couple months. And she reads the audiobook. It's such a good book. So good. Yeah, her writing is phenomenal and her perspective is wonderful and very much needed. Again, she's she's still a white woman. So, um, you know, it doesn't doesn't cover all the bases, but um, it's definitely representation that we're not getting normally um, in society. And so, you know, I like that there's been some um, spotlight kind of put on her 
and put on her polyamorous relationship and, um, you know, bringing light to that because we just don't see fat people um, represented in general, but we specifically aren't seeing them represented as polyamorous. And actually another point I had about that is a way that fat phobia might be showcased in communities is like this idea that fat folks are not sexual or are asexual or don't have sex. I think it, and it comes up in different ways too, different ways of, of viewing like minority people. I know that (laughs) there's oftentimes at work at the tool shed, a learning curve for new employees of having to come to terms with the fact that older folks have sex. (laughs) Cause sometimes people are like, what? Oh no, there's going to be people in the in their seventies. And they're going to ask me questions about sex. And it's like, yeah, they you, you can still have sex when you're in your 70s. I'm sorry to let you know, but honestly, it's something to look forward to for yourself. So, but yeah, there's this, I think there's a, a this notion that like fat folks don't have sex or aren't sexual and that yes. couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and disabled folks experience a lot of that same attitude. Um, my nesting partner is deaf. And so, um, you know, he's contended with his disability sort of, being an unintentional roadblock to, you know, people seeing him as a sexual being as well, you know, and as, as a fat person in my position, I think, um, I don't know, I've been told I exude sexiness. It's, I don't, it's not something I I necessarily always do intentionally, but it sort of happens. And so my experience hasn't been that people don't see me as sexual for the most part, but across the board, this is true for majority of fat folks is like, again, we're starting at a deficit. We need to get people to see us as human and see us as fully human. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, when it comes to, and again, I can't speak from a trans perspective because I'm not trans, but there are a lot of fat trans folks who um, access to their gender is so defined by their body. Um, you know, people are, people look at fat bodies almost as genderless, depending on, on the size and shape. And so um, for, for trans people, I mean, first of all, trans people aren't even able to get the, you know, healthcare that they need to thrive unless they lose weight, quote unquote. I mean, this is happening in healthcare settings across the board and it's sort of a separate topic, but it's super, super harmful to fat folks um, to not be treated and to be told to lose weight. Um, weight loss is over 95% ineffective in the long term. So it's not working for anybody, really, uh, a very, very small percentage of people. And doctors are prescribing it like it's a miracle cure for everything. And it isn't, and it doesn't work. And so, you know, trans folks are, are at a huge risk because of the fact that they are number one, not even able to get the gender affirming surgeries and the things that they need in their, in their fat bodies, you know, to feel okay. And secondly, yeah, just being able to access gender. Like for me, I had a struggle with my sexuality and my gender around my fatness because, um, you know, when I was kind of coming of age and coming into myself, um, the clothing that was available for me in my size Um, you know, that was feminine clothing was not my cup of tea at all. It just wasn't for me. And I didn't know how to make sense of that. You know, so I ended up wearing a lot of more masculine clothing, which messed with how I viewed my gender. Um, I, I, I think if I, 
back then, if I had words like non-binary and things like that, I maybe would have identified that way. Um, but it was a direct result of my body. You know, I was to understand that a feminine woman was a soft, delicate, small, meek, um, you know, just wafy blonde, white little thing. And I wasn't those things, you know, it just didn't fit for me. And so I went the other direction and I leaned into more masculine things because it felt like it was safer and more accessible, um, which also messed with my sexuality. Um, I got called a dyke, you know, when I was in school and stuff. And so it was like, well, keep the hair long because that's the one defining feminine trait that I can pull off. So it was like, keep my hair long, even though I was wearing men's clothes. Um, and I couldn't even think about if I was bi or if I had any interest in women because I was so afraid of being marginalized as, and, and, and I knew I wasn't gay, like a full on lesbian or anything, but even to be thought of in that way, you know, again, on top of being fat, you know, now I'm, I'm wearing men's clothing and now I'm being, it's like, just keep piling it on. And as a young person with no guidance around any of this, you know, it was really difficult. So it took me many years to, first of all, get access to clothing that was representative of who I am. You know, that's a huge, huge issue. Like a lot of people like to sort of turn their noses up about fat folks complaining about fashion. And it's like, if you don't have access to clothing that represents who you are and is a, a way for you to feel comfortable in your body, the rest of the journey is so much harder. And so, I mean, clothing is, is should be a right for everybody. Um, clothing in a variety of sizes and styles and stuff so that everybody can, can represent themselves the way they're comfortable. And so once I was able to do that, I was able to kind of lean more into my femininity and embrace it in the body that I had. Um, I think pregnancy helped me a little bit with that as well, um, kind of coming to terms with my body and then watching it change and fluctuate a whole bunch in a short, relatively short period of time. Though I imagine that might have thrown you back into the what are these crazy clothes available to me that are so not me? <laughs> yeah, well, and maternity clothes in fat sizes are hideous like especially 15 years ago when i was pregnant like there just wasn't there wasn't a lot of options um and so yeah i mean clothing is such a huge part of that and i feel like i'm i'm totally off track from the original question but <laughs> no but i mean that's so relatable like i'm just thinking about the horrible like flower print dresses that looked like shapeless tents that you know were available to me when i was pregnant which was also in that 15 to 17 years ago range and like oh my god craziness like it's yeah. hard it's hard when you don't when you don't have those basic things that you see straight sized people having at nauseam you know um so it that's a struggle for fat folks and i think um when we're faced with these issues of like you know, really who I feel like inside is leather and fishnets and chains and spikes. And that's who I feel like inside. But if outside, all I can do is the floral muumuu, it's not going to read, you know? And so again, if fat folks aren't seen by society as being sexy, society's not going to make sexy clothes for us. Um, they're not going to make harnesses that fit us. You're not going to be able to find a strap on that you can, you know, get yourself into um, whatever it is. There are, there's tons of bear barricades for fat folks um, when it comes to access 
you know, and it, and it bleeds over into our sexuality and us not being seen as sexual beings, because again, the, what is put out by the media and, and pumped into us is this is what an attractive woman is. This is what an attractive man is. There's nothing in between. And if you don't fit these two molds, like good luck to you. Um, and yeah, there are tons of fat folks who are, are just seen as sort of genderless and, and without, um, any sexual identity at all, um, by others, which is, it's tough. Again, it's a, it's another barrier. Well, and I think there's that's- the other side of the coin of like fetishization of like only seeing them as a sexual object instead of a human. Um, and I feel like you've, I don't know if you want to go into this at all, but like, I feel like sure. you posted about fetishization before in the group. Mm-hmm. Do you have experience with that? Absolutely. Um, and you know, as a kinky person, like fetishization can be fun. Um, if it's done right, if it's done essentially, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but as fat folks, almost all of us have experienced being fetishized in a way that wasn't respectful, wasn't welcomed. Um, you know, and it was hard for me, uh, again, as a younger person, um, you know, I, I started dating and, and sort of coming into my sexuality and understanding myself as a sexual being at all, um, in a time when heroin chic was in you know, very, very thin women were what was in. And so um, people my age, particularly boys, were not interested in a body like mine. It just wasn't, you know, what they were being fed as this is what you should like. So I struggled with that. And when somebody did show interest in me, I wasn't sure if they liked me for me or if they were fetishizing me. And I didn't even have a word for fetishization at that point. Um, But it was like, you know, as fat people, we are told, take what you can get, you know, because you're obviously not acceptable by society. So if anybody's going to, you know, be willing to sleep with you, just do it. Just take what you can get. That's the message that we're told. We're told not to have standards. Um, and so, you know, that it's it's real easy to fall into the arms of someone who's fetishizing us, um, which, again, it can feel fun to have somebody be really, really into your body when, again, the messaging you're receiving is that your body is garbage and you should be ashamed of it. And so if somebody's really into it, that feels really, really good. Um, But again, it's not like we deserve more. It's not the full expression of love or of attraction um, to be fetishized. And I personally have dealt with it recently. I I'm on FetLife, which is probably a mistake already in itself, but, you know, I sort of entertain people there a little bit with, you know, trying to meet up, trying to find connections. And there was a man who showed some interest in me and I kind of liked his energy, but I was a little bit concerned. And as, as a fat woman, I'm concerned about people who present as being very into fitness um, as an identity. Um, because it's usually not safe for fat folks to be um, in close proximity to people like that. They either will try to um, recruit us to be our personal trainers. They are possibly into a fetish of like humiliation or whatever, demeaning. I'm not into that personally. So I'm not interested in that from anybody. Um, And, you know, it can just be dangerous to be a fat person around people who are, are super obsessed with fitness. And I personally... Um, I love moving my body. I love exercising. I love yoga. I love dancing. I do all, I have a fitness regimen that I do, um, but it isn't 
like the whole of my life. Um, and I'm not steeped into it through a diet culture lens, which most people are um, in this society. So I had this guy who was definitely like, um, I'll call him like a muscle guy <laughs> that sort of uh, explains his physique and his look. And again, I don't discriminate against any body types. You know, it's really about the energy of the person and their personality and, and whether or not I find them attractive. And so I wasn't going to discriminate on him strictly based on his body, but it was a red flag. It was something that I had to be careful of. And as it turns out, you know, we talked on the phone, we texted, we did a video chat and this man would not meet me in a public setting in front of other people. You know, it basically came down to the fact that he was ashamed to be seen with me in public. He was interested in me in private and he was fetishizing my body, but he did not want to be seen on a date with me, whether that was to have coffee, to have a drink, to have dinner, to have lunch, whatever. He would not do it. Um, and that's that's a boundary for me. I'm not willing to give anyone access to my body who's ashamed to be seen in public with me. Um, Hell no. Yeah. And a lot of fat folks don't have that option. You know, um, a lot of fat folks, this is the maybe the only kind of attention they're getting. And so if they want access to romance, to sex, um, they sort of have to go these through these avenues of quite frankly, um, a series of microaggressions, you know, that to, to get, access to things that um, straight sized people have unlimited access to almost at all times. So, yeah. Um, well, I think that also really points to the way that our culture is so, and that's maybe where fat phobic is actually really the right word. It's not the fear of fat people. It's more like the culture makes people afraid to admit like their attraction to somebody who's fat like this, you know, and this guy sounds like he was a dick, but like coming at it from a point of trying to imagine what it's like for him, like here he is, he's clearly attracted to fat women, but he's got such a strong conditioning and social, you know, shit that he hasn't dealt with that he can't let himself be open about who he's into and what he's into. And he's got to like, you know, deal with his own shame and shit around who he finds attractive, who he wants to be with. And that is such a, it's a such a sad commentary on society. Like that fucking sucks for everybody. I also wonder if some of those folks who are really into fitness used to be fat, because sometimes I feel like the people who were previously considered fat and then um, lost weight sometimes hate fat people more than anyone. And it's really like this weird, um, I think, internalized fat phobia that started when they were fat and they saw like the way they were treated when they were fat as like the not as the issue, but like the fatness was the issue, not the way they were treated. And um, and then becoming changing their body to to not be fat anymore. And, and I see this with um, like fitness, you know, gurus like Jillian Michaels, who's mm-hmm. the biggest loser, yeah. one of the coaches. She's she one of the most like the biggest loser. Yes, she's the biggest loser. Yeah, she's one of the most like anti fat people I've ever heard of. And she's yeah. really horrible. And she's been called out on it. I don't think she's ever apologized, but she's no. been very vocal about being like incredibly anti fat. And and she used to be I mean, I'm going to use quotes because I don't know how 
big she ever was, but like she, she identified as, as someone who used to be fat. And I feel like it's a common thing I've noticed of, of people who have lost weight, who are so incredibly hateful to fat folks. And, and it just seems like a really weird misdirection of their energy to be like, well, yeah, you hated how you work, ex- how your life was or your experience as a fat person, but that has nothing to do with your weight. Like, like it's right. how people treated you when you were fat and that, yeah. And that was horrible probably for you. Um, why wouldn't you try to change the system that made the life you lived horrible instead of other people's bodies who you now find uncomfortable? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, I think, you know, the former fats are among the worst um, people, worst offenders. And a lot of that is because they have bought into the notion um, that fatness is a choice because look at me, I did it. I lost the weight. Um, and a lot of times these people who are maintaining a weight loss are engaged in disordered eating or eating disorders, a full on eating disorder. So their mental health is in the garbage. Um, so of course they're not going to be behaving probably the way they should be out here in society. Um, and it's a lot about, you know, sort of one upping and, and being better than like, look at me, I did the thing that you can't do and look at how different I am. Like watch me separate myself from you know, the people in in society who are being treated crap, like crap, you know, and that's, it's super harmful for fat folks. And like I said earlier, there's over a hundred reasons why a person might be fat. Um, And diet culture has brainwashed everybody into believing that we have control over our health, over our bodies, um, the healthism that exists uh, within our culture, you know, basically has us believing that we have control over our health outcomes when, you know, we have maybe, I don't know, 3% control or something. I forget the exact number, but we don't have as much control as we think. Most um, good health, quote unquote, is is a privilege. You know, it's something that you didn't earn. You just got lucky. Mm-hmm. People that engage in health promoting activities, like that's great. And, and yet it's not a prerequisite to being treated with dignity and respect. Um, nobody ever gets on a person with cancer about feeling good in their body on a particular day. Like we would applaud that somebody with cancer feeling good in their body. We applaud you fat people feeling good in their body. They're glorifying obesity and they're, you know, promoting unhealthy lifestyles because we're not ashamed to exist in our bodies. Um, but again, that all goes back to people believing that Um, fatness is a choice. And that if you're fat, it's because you're lazy and you have chosen this, Um, you know, and, and while again, that's not true for everybody, but even if it was, so what, like, even if you chose to be fat, so what you still deserve to be treated with respect. Um, But the majority of fat people, it's not a choice. Um, You know, we've gotten here for a variety of different reasons. We were born fat or we became fat later, or we've yo-yo dieted our entire lives, which is actually what medically that's called weight cycling. And it's actually more harmful for you than just being fat. Um, And also just the anti-fat bias that exists is more harmful for fat people's health than their actual fatness. Um, There's tons and tons of people doing work around, um, deconstructing these myths uh, around healthism and fatness and all that kind of stuff. And I I can't, you know, get into all of that because I'm not an expert on that stuff. But um, the bottom line is that fat people deserve respect regardless of why we're fat. And 
you know, that's the, that's the problem that, you know, a lot of people just don't grasp that. And I think formerly fat people who are engaging in anti-fatness are really just trying to separate themselves from the fat community as much as they possibly can. And it doesn't do anybody any good. It just, you know, furthers the divide and, um, you know, further adds on to the fat phobia that's already rampant in our culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think really what all of this points to, too, is like everybody just wants to be able to like, you know, and everybody in the poly community really just wants to be able to meet people and make connections that are like one human being to another. You know, if you are a person who has a particular sexual orientation, like people who are of the appropriate other gender or appropriate gender. But like it, it would be great if we could both acknowledge, yes, some people are attracted to people in bigger bodies, but also like, hey, you know what? Like the people you want to connect with, they're like we're all people. Maybe what they look like is not the top consideration. And you could find somebody sexy who you hadn't realized you could find sexy when you connect with them on a human level. Oh, for sure. And I think that's a, a problem, you know, for uh, across the board, you know, just in terms of being overly focused on, on the physical and what have you. And, and I mean, I see it in online poly spaces. That's where I spend most of my time around other poly folks is in online spaces. And, you know, it's really obvious when, you know, even if you go down, like some of the poly groups will have like um, post a selfie and whatever, and you get interactions and whatever. And, and it's, I mean, the, the fat folks always have less interaction. There's always less likes and hearts and whatever on their pictures than on other folks, you know? And so, you know, this is a, this is a societal cultural attitude that, um, you know, it's not going to change overnight, obviously, um, but it really does affect the way that specifically fat folks deal with, you know, in polyamory, like I was thinking about just the the expectations that are put on women and fat women, like, like as a, as a fat woman, I can say that I've had expectations put on me that I should really um, like worship the people that are willing to be with me, you know, throughout, I mean, anymore today, I don't, I don't really nobody gets too close to me with that attitude, but I can think of, you know, in, in previous to me finding fat liberation and stuff like that. Um, I would get into relationships with people. It's like, you know, you should really be appreciative of the fact that I'm willing to date you and be seen with you. And there it's a problem. That bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because the societal expectation is that um, fat people should take what they can get. Yeah. And if you're um, having standards and you're having any kind of, um, you know, issue with that attitude, you know, there are going to be people who take offense to that. And I think in that interaction that I had with that guy, you know, who he, I think he realized that he, he was he was messing with the wrong fat bitch because I was not going to take what I could get. I was not going to, you know, settle for anything less than what I deserve. And I deserve, you know, the best of the best. somebody who loves you for exactly who you are. Yes. I don't want you to um, be okay with the fact that I'm fat. I don't want you to be able to look past it and love me anyway. I want you to be into it in a way that if um, also something were to happen with my body and it were to change and I were to lose weight, you would still be into me. Or if I were 
uh, something were to happen in my body were to change and I were to gain weight, you would also still be into me. But I want you to love me not in spite of my fatness, um, but I want it to be included as being a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's really hard on, I mean, I, I, I can only speak to this being hard on women from my experience and observation, but it's probably true from other genders as well. We are so sort of trained to like, just be grateful for what you can get and don't stand up for, you know, wanting more or wanting to be treated better or wanting, you know, someone who appreciates you exactly as you are. I mean, I I think it kind of actually does tie back into that toxic monogamy culture in some ways. Like uh, you're supposed to settle for the best you can get and the best you can get is the person who says they want you. And like, that's it. That's what you get. You get what you get and you don't have a fit. Right. And (laughs) I absolutely was in that place um, in monogamy in my twenties. And I think I talked a little bit about this the last time I was on, but I think that notion of taking what you can get and sort of settling in there is what kept me from exploring ethical non-monogamy, you know, sooner because there's this fear of like, okay, well, I managed to get this one person. So like, let me just, just stay here because it's a lot of work to try to find somebody else. I mean, I stayed in an abusive relationship because I didn't think I could do better um, or find somebody that was better. And a, and a lot of that had to do with my body. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it was other things, but a lot of times it would come to, down to my body and the messages that I was getting was your body is not okay. It's not good. Like this person who is willing to have you in the body that you have is doing you a favor. So please don't try to push your luck. So it was like, I wasn't confident in my, in my body and also opening myself up to other sexual experiences. Like every time I opened myself up to somebody sexually, it was like a whole thing. You know, I had to go. And I think, I think a lot of people will relate to that in general, but I think when you're a fat person, there's that just that extra layer of, you know, how common it is for our bodies to be shit on, you know, that, I think everyone has insecurities about their bodies, whatever. Um, but it's different when you're actually experiencing societal oppression around your body. It, it gets a little bit more difficult to be willing to just get naked in front of people. And so, you know, these swinger events with these thin people on the a- advertisements and whatever, that's basically saying this is not a safe place for you in your fat body. You're not welcome. We actually don't want you to come. We can't stop you from coming. But if you do you know, we are looking for people like this, you know, so there's all of these things that pile on and on and on that, you know, for me, like being able to be okay in my body enough to seek other partners outside of this one person that I know is, is okay for me. Like it's a challenge and it's a less of a challenge now that I've found fat liberation and I've found a lot more confidence in myself as I've, you know, worked through some of my issues, but um, you know, not everybody is exactly where I'm at. You know, we're, we're all uh, somewhere on the spectrum of accepting ourselves and kind of moving past some of these societal uh, barricades. But yeah, it, it's absolutely a, a thing that fat people are up against constantly. Like if you don't fit this mold that society has laid out, um, 
you know, finding one partner can be hard. How are you supposed to find multiple partners? How are you supposed to be comfortable putting yourself out there for a bunch of people? Um, and I've heard stories about fat folks um, being blocked on Tinder when they post a full body picture or um, being, you know, like in non-monogamous relationships and then being dumped because somebody thinner comes along. And that's truly a, a fear that is legit. Like I've, I've been there. I've, had to, I had a primary partner who got, uh, um, another, I, I shouldn't even use primary secondary. I don't like those terms, but I had a nesting partner who got a girlfriend who, you know, was smaller than me. And it's like, okay, this is something I have to look at and really, um, sit with and, and come to terms with that. It's like, this is just a different person. Um, their body is different than mine. It isn't better because it's smaller. Um, but society would have me believe that that it is better because it's smaller. And so, you know, there's a conscious effort there on my part to not fall into that because um, it's really easy to do. Absolutely. What kinds of things do you think that the poly community can do to try to be more welcoming and inclusive? Well, I think, I think it starts out with um, allowing fat folks to talk about our experiences. You know, I've seen a lot of instances where, you know, maybe like a, a good example is like maybe somebody posts a meme about like unicorn, unicorn hunting or something like that. And, um, you know, everybody likes to make fun of the unicorn hunters. Okay, great, fine. But then um, we start picking on people's appearance and, and how they look, or, you know, you see a lot of that going on in society in general, but you know, uh, Trump is a good example. Like Trump's a garbage human being, but it's not because he's fat. Um, but everybody will jump on that as like mm -hmm. one of the first things to say, it's like, don't do that. Because what you do when you do that is you tell every fat person that can hear you what you really think of their body mm -hmm. and what you really think of, of who they are. Um, so that's terrible. Don't do that. Um, and I think also just being willing to go on dates with fat people and see how you feel again, but you have to be able to work through uh, whatever anti-fat bias you might have, which most people aren't even conscious of it because it's so accepted. Like people just automatically assume everybody wants to be thinner, thinner is better. And, you know, I mean, just yesterday, just yesterday, I had posted in a Wisconsin poly group, an introduction post. And I mentioned, you know, identifying as fat and whatever, and um, doing burlesque. And there was another woman who commented that she also performs burlesque as a fat person. And I was like, yay, that's great. And uh, somebody else commented in there, oh, nobody is a fat person. You're just a little bigger. You're beautiful. And, you know, when both of us said, hey, you know, we don't see fat as a bad thing. Please, you know, let us identify however we see comfortable. Um, and it, it devolved into the person who made the nobody's fat comment um, messaging me privately to tell me that I'm a fat, ugly bitch and that nobody wants me. And it was just like classic classic like fat phobia and and the woman who was making the comments the the disparaging comments was also a fat woman and it's like this is going on within the community it's like just because somebody's fat doesn't mean they get it doesn't right. mean they're not you know internalizing all that fat phobia and then and then spewing it out onto other people um 
you know, but it's like stand up for fat folks when you see that shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um, too many people will will turn away and and not deal with it. And uh, fat people are not taken seriously about our own uh, feelings and perspectives. Um, we are tone police. We're talked over. Um, you know, so especially in online spaces, if people are talking about this, if people, if you see you know, microaggressions happening, call it out. And if you're a thin white person, call it out twice because, (laughs) you know, you're going to be listened to far more than anybody else is going to be listened to. And it's like, use that privilege for some good. You know, I think the poly community, you know, I think prides itself on being, um, I don't know, elevated in some way, like cool like uh, progressive whatever but again this the fat phobia goes unchecked in so many of these spaces and Mm -hmm. and it's because people aren't doing number one doing the work of unlearning it like it's a thing it exists it's it's going on it's rampant and so many people just don't even acknowledge it as being a problem because they're either not fat or they're not dating somebody who's fat or just doesn't you know, enter into their scope of understanding whatsoever. And it's, and it's really like one of the last forms of oppression that is pretty widely accepted. Encouraged. Um, across, yeah. and, and, encouraged and encouraged across yeah. the board. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. That was one of my points is that like fat phobia is one of the, one of the only phobias, right. That we mm-hmm. as a society normalize and encourage and, totally accept that that's just like oh well that could be changed so we should i think there was even something i was listening to recently about um oh it was the podcast but the the you're wrong about people and i know that you listen to it too maintenance phase yes the 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 podcast maintenance phase which i love um had a they were talking about um somebody referring to smokers as if like that was equal, like somebody who is smoking and that unhealthiness being equal to someone who is fat and how you can disparage a smoker, but you're not allowed to disparage a fat person. And the people who, you know, the podcasters were like, have they ever talked to a fat person? Cause they get disparaged quite a bit. Like, what are you talking about? And, and how it's, totally acceptable in most people's eyes to just go right up to a fat person and tell them how you feel about their size, tell them how you don't like them, how you don't like what they look like and who they are as a person. Or take things out of their cart at the grocery store or, um, you know, tell them where they can go to get some fitness. I mean, I've had personal trainers inbox me on Instagram, you know, peddling their services. And it's like, I didn't ask you. Mm -hmm. I have a fitness regimen and they just automatically assume because I'm a fat person that I don't, that I don't have a fitness regimen, that I don't know how to feed myself, that, you know, that, you know, I am the size I am because of my own behavior alone. And it's not true. I mean, it's just ludicrous when you think about it to imagine that fat people don't know what the social rules for how you become a thin person are like, you know, eat less and exercise more by second or third grade. Kids know that that's the correct answer when you're asked a question involving health and fitness, like whether it's accurate or not is a completely separate question. But it's such a there is nobody in mainstream American culture who is not aware that that's how they're supposed to answer. Correct. Correct. So the idea that it's so condescending to think somebody could be like, oh, you know what? You may not realize this, (laughs) but 
ice cream has more calories than vegetables. Like, really? Oh, my God. I had no idea. Yeah, that's absolutely the attitude. And and the whole calories in calories out model has been debunked. It's it's not how things work. But of course, diet culture doesn't want us to know that um, because they have you know, upwards of $70 billion to make off of us. And, you know, we can't be over here, you know, not believing in their lies or this, the machine doesn't work the way it's supposed to. So um, absolutely. And, and that's just one, one example of how fat people are not given respect and dignity to exist. And as a fat person myself who exists on the internet, exists on stage, as unashamed and unapologetic about my fatness and about my body. I do run into people who just, you know, I actually was in some really horrible white guys YouTube video about, you know, shitting all over body positivity or whatever. And um, he pulled one of my TikToks out and had to poke fun of it, which I think that's like the pinnacle of, of being a fat acceptance advocate when you, um, show up in some white guy's YouTube video on a rant. But uh, yeah, it's like, you know, my whole point is that there's just no reason for it. You know, there's really no reason for the hate and for the way that fat people are treated in society in general. Um, But if we want to zero down into polyamorous spaces, you know, it's really, it's like an extra, I don't know. It feels like it's an a little bit of an extra hurdle for us in terms of just the way like the societal systems play out on the smaller scale in in the polyamorous spaces, you know. And again, like coming up against having to deal with uh, you know being passed up for thinner people or um, not being considered or like um, one thing I heard didn't happen to me, but it happened to somebody else where they are being sought out um, for triads because, you know, if, if it's a couple like unicorn hunting or whatever, looking for that third for a triad, the woman in the couple is less insecure around a woman who's fatter than she is. And so it feels like a safer way to do a triad. Just, I mean, you, there's all kinds Gross. of ways that fat phobia is coming out in, in polyamories. <laughs> And I think you're right. Then you you had said before that some people aren't aware that they're doing it or, you know, because because there are these like little things that I'll see in dating profiles and they are red flags to me. But I don't think that the people well, I don't obviously they don't know that the red flags because they posted it. But like um, there's this term height, weight, proportionate. You know, like that, I'll see that and they'll be like, so you mean no fatties, right? That's what you're saying, right? Um, There's this coded language, you know, curvy girls, okay, but not obese or something like that. And I'm like, well, what is, what does that mean? You know, like, what does that mean to you? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm sure Um, it was a man that put that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, But uh, yeah, is, is there anything that you, the other red flags you've seen in like dating profiles and stuff that you could maybe speak to that maybe, again, these people don't realize they're doing it or they're just using language that they've read. And they're like, that sounds good. Let's write that. I'm not going to say no fatties. I'm going to say height, weight, proportionate, you know, yeah, like, I want to be a polite discriminator. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, you pretty much touched on the major ones and I hate that the word active gets thrown around like that um, because I've used the word active in my dating profile, because I am super active. Like Mm -hmm. I do a lot of things. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It's so ridiculous to think that somebody who is a big bodied person can't also 
hike or swim or dance or be healthy. Or it's not active is just such a completely independent variable from weight. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've actually had guys um, match with me so that they could send me a message to be like, yeah, right. I'm sure you're so active because I put that in my dating profile. And it's like, you matched me just to talk shit about me being fat. Who's the, who's the loser here? Probably not. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I think um, I'm trying to think if there's any other terms that I've seen um, off the top of my head. Um, But yeah, it's uh, usually when, when I'm looking at potential partners, um, I, if somebody's super into fitness culture, I, I tend to back away, not because I think there's anything wrong with being into fitness culture, but because that often comes with diet culture and fat phobia. And unless a person makes a conscious effort to separate those things, like, and, and they're talking about it in their profile because they know, like, if I present as this, it's going to look like I'm this, if they don't have that level of awareness, they probably don't even have a clue about their own bias. So I just skip over that entirely because, you know, I mean, you might as well be holding a fish in your picture. You know, if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're doing or a sprawled out in front of a tiger. Yes. Yeah. If you're doing a gym selfie, like what you're, what you're, tr- the unconscious thing you're trying to say is, uh, you know, that you want somebody who's active and fit and whatever. And it's like those, terms are very, um, you know, they, they don't, there's not one definition for that. Um, but there is that one societal definition and and I probably don't fit that for these people. So right. Those people are using it as a euphemism. Right. Right. And, you know, and I wish I could think of other ones off the top of my head, but I think mostly the, the height, weight proportionate or looking for fit people or active people. Um, those are the ones I see the most often. There's also this term I I had um, discovered when kind of researching this topic of toxic allyship, and it came with the phrases, you're so brave. It must take such confidence. You have such a pretty face. And um, and I thought that was interesting in the in the like in the viewpoint through ethical non-monogamy of like other people in the community or other metamors or other, you know, people quote unquote complimenting you but it being a passive aggressive way to insult you or something like that in in um in this way of like i'm being an ally and i've actually uh, and interestingly enough one of the first compliments i got as a burlesque dancer was that i was brave and i was like i don't feel brave mm-hmm. i just feel like i'm having fun um what the fuck you know and uh, and so that uh, i was wondering if if you came across any of that in in the polysphere or in dating that just like that those like backhanded compliments those weird just like leave you feeling like what the fuck was that the backhanded compliments are a plenty on the internet um especially existing as a fat model and as a fat burlesque performer i get that a lot um in terms of you know, polyamory. I don't feel like I've gotten it as much me personally. I can't speak for other fat folks in the community, but I think there is this general attitude again, that a fat person doing anything that might scare somebody like, I think polyamory and ethical non-monogamy can be a scary thing. It's a scary concept to a lot of people um, because not only 
are you having to juggle multiple relationships, which there is no framework or anything for how to do that. You know, we are not culturally brought up for how to um, juggle multiple romantic relationships. So um, that's scary Um, to do anything like that on top of um, also being fat. It's like a double whammy because you have, you know, I mean, just existing as a fat person is an act of bravery, apparently, um, in our society. And so doing, you know, polyamory on top of that, it's like, it just adds to where people will just look at you and think, I don't know how you do it. You know, and I think that's where those compliments and a lot of times they're very well-meaning. I've gotten a lot of compliments from other women who, um, you know, look at me and they just say, you're so brave. Like, oh, I want your confidence. And what they're saying is I'm not comfortable in my own body. I see that you are, um, and you are doing it in a society that tells you that you shouldn't be. And I, I'm not that strong. I wish I had that. I wish I was as brave as you, but I'm not brave. I wish I was as confident as you, but I'm not confident. And it's like, so I understand where it's coming from, but it, it never feels good to be reminded that I should be way less comfortable in my body than I am. You know, that's just what those compliment, those backhanded compliments are just a reminder of like, you are way more comfortable than you technically have any right to be. Mm-hmm, <laughs> what it mm-hmm. really that's is, a great right? way of explaining it. That's really, I think that's exactly right. Like it's Who gave a you the right weird acknowledgement of like, I'm jealous that you are this confident, but yeah. also putting you in your place a little bit like you shouldn't be. Correct. And that woman who uh, sent me that DM yesterday uh, calling me fat and ugly, um, you know, she's a perfect example of somebody who, who's, you know, I have, who saw me and said, you have no right to be this comfortable. You're making me uncomfortable by how comfortable you are. And I'm pissed (laughs) that you skipped the line and you got to happiness and to contentedness within yourself without having to jump through the hoops that society is telling me I have to jump through, which is um, dieting to no avail, um, eating disorders, you know, terrible mental health as a result. And, you know, all of the gymnastics that fat people have to do um, in order to be considered acceptable by society. Like the only way that fat people are really given a pass, quote unquote, is if we're actively trying to improve ourselves. You know, oh, I'm really trying hard. I've been dieting. I've been doing this. You know, how many performative dieters do we see on social media every day um, posting their granola and whatever other bullshit that they think they have to do to be seen as being okay in their fat body? Like, oh, it's just temporary. I'm really working on it. Um, that's what in the community. Right, like apologizing for your body. Correct. We call those the good fatties because they're, you know, they're following the societal guidelines of, you know, being apologetic for who they are and, and trying not to stay there. Then you have the bad fatties like myself who don't give a shit. And, you know, we're fat and proud and we're out loud about it. And we're glorifying obesity every chance we get. And, you know, we're just not willing to not be happy, um, in, in our bodies, you know, society would tell us you need to wait until you are a certain weight right. or you're, you can't be happy diet. until you're right. And you're wrong yeah, now. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, spoiler alert, you're, it, you never reach it. You know, there's never, um, a point to where you're completely accepted. So just stop 
trying to do that and, and just be happy now. That's basically where I come from. And, um, you know, some people see that I skipped the line and they're not real happy about it. Um, but we can all skip the line. We don't actually have to wait in it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure we talked well, about Katie? I don't know. I feel like we covered a lot, you know, and it's just so hard to kind of separate fat phobia as a general concept from fat phobia and polyamory. I think the important thing that I want to get across to the listeners is that, you know, fat phobia is everywhere. It's all around in our culture and our society. And that um, polyamorous and ethically non-monogamous spaces are not exempt, you know, and just like they're not exempt from racism and homophobia and ableism, uh, couples privilege, you know, all that kind of stuff. Fat phobia is is alive and well in polyamory. And I think just understanding it as a concept, understanding how anti-fatness works into every aspect of life, then it's once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so you'll see it in just in how people interact with each other, whether that's in polyamory or otherwise. Um, And everybody's experience will be a little bit different, but understanding Again, the system, the way the system works, it'll break it wide open in every community. Um, You know, and I think it's, I I draw parallels for me in my life. Like um, I'm a big part of the horror community Um, and traditionally like horror movies, you know, you don't ever see fat women as lead characters in a horror movie. Um, You know, usually anybody who's fat is a villain you know, in any movie, pretty much. And that's, again, we could have a whole episode just on media representation of fat people or lack thereof. But I am often, as a fat person, the only fat person in a space that I enter into, particularly within the horror community, um, you know, and I'm trying to like blaze the trail a little bit. But I noticed too, in a lot of polyamorous spaces, you can be sometimes either the only fat person maybe in a polycule and how that can feel alienating or feel like, you know, nobody really understands what you're going through. And because there's so much shame connected to fatness as a product of the societal messaging, not necessarily inherent to fat people, but, you know, we're, like I said, we're all in the water and there's all this shame stuff going on. Um, you know, kind of the antidote to being ashamed of oneself is to open up and to share about your experiences with other people. And if there's not a safe person within a polycule or within a community um, with which to do that, um, that's where shame grows. It's like, grow, like I think Brene Brown uh, describes it as like a Petri dish analogy. It's like, mm-hmm. Um, if you keep that shame in the dark, you know, it's really going to grow and manifest. If you shine some light on it, um, that's when it stops becoming so scary. And that's really what I'm hoping that we're doing here is shining some light on this topic. Um, I can't talk enough about it um, because not enough people are talking about it. And like I said, you know, it's, it's one of the only forms of oppression that is really just seen as widely acceptable and encouraged. And, and I would encourage folks, particularly the listeners of this podcast and the folks in the local community, you know, to, to take another look at, you know, the anti-fat bias that they might hold within themselves and the fat phobia that they might be participating in, in the community without even realizing it, you know, it's all about awareness and, 
you know, once you see it, it's really hard to unsee it after that. Um, and we need we need the kind of allies that aren't going to tell us that we're brave and that they would like our confidence. We need the kind of allies who are going to uh, stand up for our rights and our dignity and who will, you know, help us put a stop to just the the, the acceptance of the anti-fat bias everywhere. You know, if, if you if you don't think it's OK, you know, you have to speak up. That's the thing with all of this, you know, there's so many people that are just complicit to it because they just don't care if they're, if they're not fat, if it's not affecting them, even if they're not that fat, like I don't have to be a fat acceptance advocate because I don't deal with the kind of oppression that somebody um, bigger than me, you know, much bigger than me deals with, but this isn't about me. You know, I don't do this for my own gain. This is about the community at large. And I know that my privilege affords me opportunities that a lot of other fat folks don't get. I know that um, I can often be sort of a gateway to fat acceptance for a lot of people because I'm that quote unquote ac acceptable kind of fat. And so people have an easier time listening to me and an easier time looking at me than they would um, somebody fatter than me. Um, and, and really my goal is to bring awareness to this topic and to and for the most marginalized within the fat community to be able to be accepted and to be comfortable and to engage in ethical non-monogamy in safe ways that um you know because there's so much to be gained from this this practice and this lifestyle and fat folks don't have enough access to to love and romance and all of the different ways that that can look um because of these these biases that exist. And I, I'm just really trying to do whatever I can do to close that gap and to, to give fat folks uh, a better experience overall. Well, thank this, you. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Th this reminds me of this exercise that is in the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And I'm sure I've talked about um, the book on the podcast before because I love it. It is absolutely amazing. I highly recommend it to anyone, but she has an entire exercise that she does in in her coursework. And it is um, because she has an entire section on body acceptance, uh, because body stress over your body can lead to burnout, right? Like that really, really affects people, especially women. And she talks about showing her students pictures of all different people, different body shapes, different genders, different, you know, ability levels, all this stuff. And she tells the student to say aloud or internally, whatever, that person is so beautiful to every single picture and just say it and, and think or think it, that person is so beautiful, no matter what they look like, no matter what, you know, their body shape or whatever um, attributes they have, that person is so beautiful. And it was this interesting thing that people will start like, you know, they'll start crying. They'll start like have, being really emotional, just seeing different bodies and saying that out loud because it's something that they either never did or were forced not to when it comes to certain, you know, people. And, and that was actually something that I, I came away from the book trying to do when I, we, in these like poly groups, in these like Facebook groups, when I see different, you know, selfie posts. And if I had this internal thing that, that said in my brain said, oh, that's not socially acceptable to immediately counteract it with that person is so beautiful. And, it, and it's, I think as a practice doing that um, helps you 
get over some of this bullshit, this like toxic bullshit that has literally been ingrained in us and encouraged in us and just like told that that's how we should be. And, and it's so gross and it's so, and like, you know, but again, it's, it's this like knee jerk reaction that you have to practice overcoming. And I think all of us can, can practice this, like just looking at photos of people of different sizes of fat body people with fat bodies and saying that is so beautiful until you believe it because it might take a while but like like fat people are beautiful and practice believing that because um that or practice saying it and and thinking it um and then maybe it'll help you believe it because yeah some we need to overcome the social brainwashing definitely i couldn't agree more and um, I like to use the term visual diet, like change it up, change up your visual diet. You know, if all you're seeing is what's being provided to you by the media, uh, you're not seeing a full scope of what's out there. Um, I love to encourage people to go like, particularly Instagram is a great resource. You can search hashtags and then you can follow those hashtags. And I would encourage people to follow like infinite first hashtag. So like Infina, I can't spell it off the top of my head, but Infina first, all one word, on the first of every month, Infina fat folks will share pictures of themselves and tag Infina first. And it's great to go and and just look at these people and, and tell them they're beautiful and like their pictures and, you know, bring some traffic to their social media um, because they are so much, you know, they, they fall to the bottom of the list of people you know, who are getting the encouragement and, and the interactions on social media. Um, I love the fat acceptance hashtag, um, fat liberation, you know, any of those um, fat vanity is another great hashtag to follow. Um, you know, and, and I feel like fat vanity is so crucial again to bringing um, awareness to the beauty of fat folks. And, and you know, a lot of times it's an inside job. Like we have to tell ourselves that we're beautiful too. Um, but it's so important for the rest of the world to diversify what they're getting in terms of what they're seeing that visual diet. And it's part of my mission statement with my burlesque as well. It's like when I get on stage, just me getting on stage is it's like an act of rebellion against the system. And I'm all about that. I'm all about riots, not diets. You know, I'm like, that's another hashtag, by the way, you should follow. Um, and, and, you know, just changing up what people see. And when I put shows together, I like to put a variety of different kinds of bodies and, and gender representations and things on my stage so that um, usually a lot of times my shows, the people that are attending my shows, it's maybe their first time seeing burlesque or seeing drag or anything of, of that nature. And um, to see people in non-conventionally attractive bodies doing this is I don't know. I think it blows a lot of people away. Honestly, it really um, surprises people. And you would be surprised by what you like if you actually get exposed to it. You know, so few people are exposed to things and expose your kids to this stuff. You know, it starts in childhood. Before we go, um, are there any resources you would like me to link folks to who want to um, learn more about like the fat acceptance um, and anti-fat bias activism and also anywhere that folks can find you. 
Well, folks can find me on Instagram. That's probably the easiest place to track me down. Katie Cadaver, that's cadaver with a K, all one word. Um, and then I would also encourage people on Instagram also to follow um, a few accounts that I think are really doing some great work around fat acceptance. The F- Fierce Fatty is one also Fat Doctor, the Fat Doctor UK does a lot of debunking of healthism and um, how that relates to fatness. Um, I would also encourage people to look into the maintenance phase podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we were talking about before, a lot of really great resources. Um, and if you're looking to get in kind of at the ground floor with fat acceptance, uh, there's a podcast called She's All Fat. It's um, <laughs> it's completely wrapped up so you can listen to the entirety of it from start to finish. It's still out there. It's still available. And that is a great resources resource for people that are just getting into understanding uh, fat acceptance and, and that kind of thing. But you know, you can follow some of those accounts on social media and it, it will just become like the floodgates will open. There are so many people doing this work out here and doing it way better than I'm doing it and doing it more comprehensively. So, and if anybody wants to follow me on social media and send me a message too, I'd be happy to direct them um, if they're looking for more resources as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for being a resource. That is so great. I really appreciate your taking the time and, you know, having the commitment to the community that you have to make sure that, you know, people are thinking about these things and, you know, thinking about their opinions and social conditioning around fatness and like, thank you. You are so welcome. I mean, I, I thank you both for the opportunity to talk about this. You know, I, there's never enough opportunities to talk about it. So I'm really glad to be here and have had this conversation today. Yeah. Awesome. Take right. care. Thank have a great so rest much. of your weekend. Have a good night. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.